This is Studio 2 on a Wednesday. I'm Cherry Gregg. Howdy, folks. I'm Avi Wolfman Arendt, and we have a big show coming up today, an exit interview with Mayor Jim Kenney. Mayor-elect Sherelle Parker will be sworn in on January 2nd. We wanted to talk to the still current mayor about his eight years leading the city, what he thinks he got right, and what he didn't. There's a lot to talk about. A soda tax, defending Philadelphia's sanctuary city status, the record levels of gun violence and homicides, the opioid epidemic, the crackdown on Black Lives Matter protests, tackling the pandemic, and so much more. And so much more. So much more. So if you have questions for the mayor, you can email us. Email us right now, studio2 at whyy.org. We'll also take calls, 888-477-9499. That's coming up in about 10 minutes. First, a few headlines to go through, yeah, Cherry. We want to start on, in. Uh, on Capitol Hill. Liz McGill, president of the University of Pennsylvania, testified yesterday before Congress about her administration's response to anti-Semitism on campus. She appeared alongside the presidents of Harvard and mm-hmm. MIT in front of the House Committee on Education and the Workforce. Let's hear a clip. We need both safety and free expression for universities and ultimately democracy to thrive. In these times, these competing principles can be difficult to balance, but I am determined to get it right. The stakes are too high. Penn would not be what it is without its strong Jewish community, past, present, and future. We've talked about this a lot on the show, but there has been an evolving saga on campus about speech, about Mm -hmm. hate speech, uh, going back to actually the months before the October 7th attack. Uh, so this was, I, I guess, a chance for Congress, ostensibly, to ask questions mm-hmm. of, of some of the major presidents in our country. Um, one of the things that stood out to me is that uh, she was asked pointedly about the the school's handling of the Palestine mm-hmm. Rights Literature Festival, uh, which happened on campus, and uh, sh- she basically defended yeah. their decision to to not cancel that mm-hmm. festival. And she said, "I think canceling that conference would have been very inconsistent with academic freedom and free expression, despite the fact that the views of some of the people who came to that conference mm-hmm. I find very, very objectionable because of their anti-Semitism." I feel like if October seventh never happened. All of these issues probably wouldn't have bubbled to the surface. But, you know, I teach journalism, law and ethics. And I mean, First Amendment, big issue. It's really a tough balance for university presidents to balance free speech with protection of, you know, um, of the rights of minority students. And um, but also uh, you got to protect the Palestinian students and the Jewish students. So there's this and their free speech rights. Um, And schools like Penn, like MIT, like Harvard, they want to be places where there's free expression of ideas. And you have to think twice before you start suspending students or, you know, expelling. And so that's why they exist. So it's just a really tough balance. I do not envy their position. And and, and it's I mean, this but this is a topic that's going to keep coming up as different um, things bubble to the surface. But this one is particularly contentious. And in large part, because a lot of what Penn is dealing with is in very close proximity uh, to October 7th. For sure. Um, One of the things that's interesting is that Liz McGill, in addition to being the president of the University of Pennsylvania, is herself a constitutional scholar. Mm -hmm. She is. And 
I would love, and she's welcome to come on our program, by the way. Uh, I would love to have a nuanced. (laughs) I would love to have a nuanced conversation with her Mm -hmm. about this topic. That's not what happened yesterday, and you know how these congressional hearings go. They're looking for every congressperson is looking for a viral moment to catch someone saying the wrong thing and then mm-hmm. sort of blast it out on their channels. And, and that's the, sad because... That's how it yeah, goes. So, we, really I, you know, you didn't learn a lot yesterday, mm-hmm. um, but she is actually a person you might want to talk to about this topic. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the lost opportunity there. Yeah. Just my two cents. Yes, her two cents. And, um, you know, moving on, we're going to go over to New Jersey and talk about the New Jersey Senate race. Remember that? Do, Representative... You, uh, you asked me if I remember. Yeah, no, course, I forgot. Of course. <laughs> Andy Kim, Representative Andy Kim and First Lady Tammy Murphy, they're both running as Democrats for Bob Menendez's seat, who, despite multiple indictments, has not yet resigned. Mm-hmm. Um, well, an old New Jersey electoral rule could give a big advantage to Tammy Murphy's bid for U.S. Senate. It's called the County Line Balloting, and many people see it as an example of New Jersey machine politics. 19 of 21 counties give the best spot on the ballot to the candidate endorsed by county party chairs. And so far, Murphy has secured about five key county endorsements that make up more than 50 percent of the vote in New Jersey. Wow. Yeah. And if that if if it bears out, she could get the ideal spot on the ballot. Right. Mm -hmm. And the other candidate, which would be Andy Kim, who is, in fact, leading in the polls, he could be banished to what folks are commonly called the the ballot Siberia, which is a spot off to the right side of the ballot. So if you look at the ballot, she would be very uh, along the left side and Prominent, prominent. You could see it. People kind of pick all the folks down the line, and then the other candidate would be far over, and you got to go look for this person. Um, and I would so, love to have someone defend this policy. Like, why? But it's this part sh- of the machine. It's yeah. something that's been part of New Jersey, Jersey politics for a, a, a very long. Because in time. Philadelphia, they just do the coffee can thing, yeah. where it's random, mm-hmm. and that has its own problems. I think the, the the fairest thing to do would for like each precinct or maybe each county just mm-hmm. to have a randomized ballot. So every ballot doesn't look exactly the same. And so your position on each one would be just determined Mm -hmm. randomly, but it wouldn't be just one ballot, you know, across the board. Yeah. um, So that you would have advantages some places, disadvantages in others. And and the Daily Beast story reports that this um, this could give the endorsed candidate a 38 point advantage. That's that's huge. That's a huge advantage. Um, And of course, you know, Murphy um, Tammy Murphy, the mm. first lady, Mar- Tammy Murphy. A lot of folks are picking her because they want to stay in good graces with her husband, who happens to be governor right now. Also, she's really good at raising yeah. money. She's given a lot of money. And so, you know, and of course, you know, this Maybe could be back- a backlash, though. It, People for Kim, say, yeah, 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 it could be a backlash. You would say, look, the machine's all behind uh, Murphy. They don't want to give you a real choice. And here I am, the alternative. You never yes. know. He, you never know. Exactly. We'll we do know. That. <laughs> what the most popular Wikipedia articles Ooh. were in 2023. Uh, what do you think the most popular article on Wikipedia was 2023? This just came out. They just released this. I, I guessed right, though. You did guess I right. I did and guess right. And I was right. very impressed yeah. by you guessing right. Because yep, I, I would right. not have guessed this. And what mm-hmm. was your guess? Chat GPT. Chat GPT. Mm-hmm. The most I think I Googled it page. myself at least <laughs> Did times. you Wikipedia it yourself? I, I did read the Wikipedia yeah. page, yeah. But fifty million page views, Chat GPT. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of uh, the, this is well, morbid, but there's a lot of a uh, high traffic when someone dies. Mm-hmm. So um, Lisa yeah. Marie Presley. There was yeah. a lot of traffic on the Friends page because of Matthew Perry passing mm-hmm. away. Number three on the list was 2023 Cricket World Cup. 
Wikipedia page. Wow. And I know you followed that really closely, mm-hmm. Cherry, the, the 2023 cricket. Well, one by whom? Of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever watched cricket? Stares blankly at your face. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. Um, well, apparently uh, crickets, uh, cricket is very, very popular, by mm-hmm. the way. Not popular in this country, but it's an interesting sport. I always thought to myself, maybe I should get a little bit more into cricket. Yeah, well, we've come a long way from Encyclopedia Britannica. We'll say that. So. Champion, by the way, Australia. Yeah. Oh, good okay. job, Australia. Runner-up, India. Better I, luck next time, India. The thing I learned today. Something else um, as, as we move on to our next story. Mayor-elect Sherelle Parker. You know, we're going to be talking to outgoing Mayor Jim Kenney. Well, okay. Incoming Mayor. Uh, elect Sherelle Parker announced a new intergovernmental roundtable okay. uh, that will join her administration. Here she is at City Hall during a press conference yesterday. This is the kitchen cabinet. Uh, this means that a Parker administration uh, does not attempt to move forward with the legislative effort without it coming through this intergovernmental roundtable. Now, that roundtable, that's going to meet regularly. They're going to work together to achieve Parker's legislative priorities on issues like public safety, housing, addiction, mm-hmm. cleanliness, you know, clean, green, Inter- safe. Intergovernmental. Intergovernmental. The the chair will be West Philadelphia State Senator Vincent Hughes, oh, okay. uh, who's going to lead that um, roundtable. And it's made up of the who's who of the Democratic Party. Um Three members of Congress, both Pennsylvania's uh, U.S. Senators, State Speaker um, Joanna McClinton. So it's like federal legislators, state mm-hmm. legislators, mm-hmm. city legislators and, and executives all getting together regularly to talk stuff out. Exactly. Big criticism, though. No members of GOP on this oh, roundtable thus far. Well, that's an innovative approach to governing. We'll yeah, see how it works. We'll see how it works. Speaking of governing, Mayor Jim Kenney is with us for the rest of the hour. We're going to talk with him about the highs and lows of his tenure leading Philadelphia. Yep. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to Studio Two. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is Studio Two. Welcome back. I'm Avi wolfman Aaron, And I'm Cherry Gregg. As Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney wraps up his second term, he has less than a month ago, we invited him in for a final interview to look back on his political career, to reflect on some of his major accomplishments and his biggest challenges during his two terms as mayor. Listeners, if you have questions for Mayor Kenney, you can email them to studio2 at whyy.org. Give us a call, 888-477-9499. Mayor, I actually wanted to start uh, with a listener question. This is from uh, Shania, who asks very simply, what are you most proud of? I think there's a couple different things that I am the most proud of. I think the creation of pre-K, um, by the time I, we leave office, there'll be over 16,000 three- and four-year-olds in a quality pre-K program throughout the city. Um, we've expanded the pre-K opportunities for people in neighborhoods, and we've done we've done that expansion equitably in neighborhoods that really need the help um, and whose kids need a, a good start in education. Uh, we've expanded the role of women of color uh, in ownership and management of these fam- mostly family-run generational businesses, uh, and we've 
and, and the other thing that come out of the, out of the pre-K, I, I was a couple of years ago, I was in Center City, and a woman came up to me, and she said to me, my boys are in pre-K, and they love it. It's a wonderful program. She said, but what, what else it did for us as a family is I don't have to stay home now. I'm a bus driver for SEPTA. Mm-hmm. So even doors of opportunity, economic opportunity opened up for parents and relatives of, family, of children um, uh, through this program. The second thing is we have 72 projects that are either in design and construction or finished, uh, renovations of rec centers, libraries, and parks. Uh, it also goes hand-in-hand hand with the pre-K because if you're a, a young person struggling in a, in a struggling neighborhood uh, and, you, and, you, you go to, and you're not ready for school and your rec center is falling down around you, there's a sense of hopelessness. There's a sense mm-hmm. of no one really cares about my future, and that, and that breeds that kind of discontent and anger. Uh, and I think that if we keep on showing – and I had a friend of mine – I have a friend of mine who coaches Little League football. And they play in, in a league that plays in the city and in the suburbs. And every time they travel to the suburbs, their field that they play on is manicured, has mm. stands for the, for the fans, has concession stands, locker rooms with showers. And our, their, his kids are like, what – I mean, we're playing on a dust bowl. Yeah. Uh, and, and I remember in Parkside, we opened up a training facility, practice field for um, – for a team out there, and when we did the ribbon cutting, the kids actually ran on the field and dove in the grass like it was a pool and rolled around in it laughing, mm-hmm. and just this was like theirs. Uh, and they had to go week to week looking for a place to practice and play every week. So th- that is, that's, that's important to me. The fact that we've raised the amount of new money for the school district, $1.5 billion since, since we've been there, uh, and um, and it returned to local, local control, control. And local control yeah. on top of it. Um, we st- we still struggle. I mean, our, our our I will tell you though also, our third grade test scores, mm-hmm. which is our first p- cohort of pre K kids, are up three plus points yeah. uh, on their test levels. So I think it's working. Um, I'm really, it's a, it's a long term play, which you always yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, you're going it, to. It's not instant results, but it's you know it's something that I think that I know that Mayor Parker will. We'll continue with. Um, I don't see the beverage tax going anywhere. That was a difficult thing to get done. Uh, mm-hmm. We were, we were being lobbied by some of the most wealthy people in America, um, and um, and our lobbyists were pre-K moms and park enthusiasts and library uh, supporters. So that's how we won. Yeah, I, I did a little back of the envelope mm-hmm. wins losses for the Kitty administration, and I wanted to add a couple more that I thought uh, a lot of criminal justice reform yes, yes. under your administration, including reduc- reduction of the prison population. About half, yeah. Yeah, I also put on there fewer stop and frisks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, tens of thousands less stop and frisks. Yeah, uh, also poverty rate down went, few yeah, points. It, it went down four points. Yeah, and and um, I something that I didn't see mentioned anywhere was diversification of some of this public art. Did you did you feel that you know there were some big statues? Did you feel anything about that? Yeah. And and I ask you this because that was one of the things on your agenda right. when you walked into City Hall, and I wanted to ask you, like, did did the guy who walk in? Did you feel like that guy's agenda things got done that you walked in wanting to do? I think the diversification of our public art is important because it tells the true story of Philadelphia. I mean, when I learned about Octavius Cato, I was 40. I didn't learn about him in grade school. I didn't learn about him in high school or any, any history class I ever took. Probably the Jackie Robinson and Martin Luther King of his day. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best athletes in the country uh, and a civil rights leader who was assassinated on election day for bringing black men to the polls to vote. But I never heard of him or his, or his, or his contemporaries. There was a whole group of people in Philadelphia uh, who, of color, 
who were successful, um, well, well done folks who contributed mightily to Philadelphia's society, and no, none of them ever mentions their name. It was all Ben Franklin and all the all the forefathers, but you know, um, for, and, the Fortin family, for example. And yeah, and I know you walked in with that mm-hmm. as part of your agenda. Yeah. Do you feel like the things you walked in with as you are about to walk out? Do you feel like you? I, I think it? more. I think more has to be done. I th- I know we're working on this. We're work. I won't. I won't be here w- when it happens. But the Marion Anderson statue is a memorial is being yeah. is being worked on now for the Academy of Music. Uh, Julian Abel, who is the African-American architect of the art museum. Uh, we're working with the art museum on, on something to honor him. Uh, and um, we just need to keep on telling the true story, the complete story of Philadelphia and U.S. history. Yeah. And so you feel like the, some yeah. of the things you walked we, in wanting to do, yes. not just in art, but just other things on that agenda, you've been able to accomplish. Well, that. I was with Mayor Good um, election night and we were sitting there waiting for Shrell, for Mayor Parker to, or Mayor-elect Parker. And he said to me something that kind of resonated with me. He said, the one thing he said I can say about you is you're fair. You're fair to everybody. And you try to, and you try to show that fairness to every segment of our, every segment of our neighborhoods. And I, and I think that's something that I'm very happy that we were able to accomplish. Or it's not done yet by any stretch because mm-hmm. we still got our gun issues. Uh, even though we're down 20%, um, we still have. Can we talk many. about that a little bit? Yeah. Because, look, it, it and it's fair to say that homicides surged across the country. Right. Um, but I was looking at some data. I think it was 27 big cities, a survey, and it was up from 2019 to 2022 homicides, like about 34 percent in Philadelphia, 45 percent. Right. So above that line. You have mentioned, and I think fairly, that mm-hmm. this is not all within Philadelphia's control. Correct. But were there things within your control that you felt you didn't do or couldn't do that would have made a difference? I think, and this is not making excuses, but um, we probably live in the worst state in the nation for gun control. Uh, if you look at New Jersey's numbers, New York's numbers, California's numbers, they all have pretty strict gun laws. It's, e- it's easier to get a gun in Pennsylvania than it is to get a driver's license. You have to take two tests, have insurance, yeah. I mean, and you can go to a gun show and buy a bag of guns and nobody even, t- nobody even questions you. So the availability of guns uh, is one problem. The second problem is, is that the legislature preempted us on every measure we could take to, uh, to cut down on the availability of, of straw purchases, sure. for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if you buy a gun for a felon who can't buy a gun, and that felon does something bad with the gun and gets traced back to the buyer, there's no requirement in the state for that person to have reported that gun stolen. Yeah. That's crazy. That's not, that's not really even gun control. That's just good law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You report your bike stolen, you report your dog stolen, you report your car stolen, but you don't have to report your gun stolen. But, so Harrisburg's line on this, however, has not changed over the no, decades. it's not going to. And it's, as you say, it's not going to. But in these years, with the same sort of general mm-hmm. baseline state of play, uh, gun violence surged. And I think the question is, was there something out of the box that you could have tried, understanding that some of the main levers you wanted to pull, right. you couldn't pull? But out of the box, if it's legislative, we were preempted already. Sure. So, mm-hmm. so they, I, I've never seen a situation where a city got preempted in, in, the, in the future. Like it, was, it wasn't even like they preempted something once we passed it. Mm-hmm. They said if you pass anything, it's preempted. So that, that was, you know, it's hard to do things out of the box legislatively right. when you have that kind of handcuffs on you. Um, so you ended up, I think, really going the money route. Correct. Uh, sort of community grants. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and do you think that was effective? Again, I just well, return to it because at the end of the day, what you're saying is valid, but the person affected by this yeah. is looking to the mayor of Philadelphia and saying, please 
help me now? Right. And the question is sort of like, what could you have done in that now? Well, Do you we think had, you left anything on the table? We have a meeting. We had a meeting yesterday with a, a good, good number of young men who are in this P3 program mm. uh, and in the group violence initiative. And we met for about an hour and listened to the staff. A lot of those guys have lived experience. Uh, they have been incarcerated themselves, so they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And these kids have either been incarcerated or, or on their way, were on their way to being incarcerated. And it was about 15 of them. So it's about 50-some young people in the program, all working, all having people to mentor them, all having someone to call late at night or anytime when they're having problems or issues or they're concerned or scared. And it was beautiful to watch because I looked at all these young men and I said, I said to them, you know, you're all smart. Yeah. You're all smart people. And we don't want to see you die. We don't want to see you get locked up for the rest of your life. We want, we want you to be successful. We want you to be happy. We want you to take care of your kids. And, and I, I felt, you know, not perfectly good, but good, like more inspired leaving yeah. there because I said, this, is, this has an impact. These, these, these 11, 12 men of various ages, one of the guys said to me, you know, when you first got elected mayor, you came up to the prison and you came by Pennypack School, which is the in, the in-prison mm-hmm. school. He says, I was 15 there, and I was in school there. He said, I'm, I always remember you came and visited us and sat with us and, and you know, talked. Uh, but he, And he's in the program now. So it, it's, I, I don't know what else, I mean, the, that whole National Guard thing was yeah. like, yeah. first yeah. of all, no city in the country's done it, number one. Number two, they're not even certified to, to do police work, mm-hmm. like they're not certified by the state to do police work. So what I would have is basically military marching around, you know, North Philly or West Philly or Southwest in fatigues and loaded rifles. Uh, and that that's not... That the, didn't appeal. No, no. And I just want to ask you, how did seeing all this gun violence oh. day after day, how did it impact you and, and did it impact your view of what government can do? It impacted me. Look, I get accused of being disengaged or whatever. I think the inquirer's got this narrative that they that they developed about my disengagement or something. I'm problem is I'm I'm too engaged. Mm-hmm. I mean, this stuff. I may lay on I lay in bed at night sometimes. I look at the ceiling and just go, what What can we do? What can we do to, to keep these kids alive? Um, and and it and it does. I mean, like that. The issue at Macy's the other day. Yeah, yeah. This is the stabbing I was like, at Macy's. My yeah. Lord in heaven, this that guy had thirteen priors, and this kid was doing everything right. He was working two jobs. Mm-hmm. He was at the post office at night at Macy's during the day uh, and was 27 years old. And I heard, I don't know if it's true, but he was going to apply to be a Philadelphia police officer. And that life is gone over two woolen hats. I mean, yeah. does that make any sense? Yeah. So, but you talked about that narrative hmm? that you were disengaged. I don't think it's fair to put that entirely on the media, the inquirer. I have seen you in public events, mm-hmm. and it does seem like sometimes you're just trying to get through it. That's not the place you yeah. feel most comfortable. I that, am not. That, Ed, Ed Rendell said to me one time, "You are the worst self-promoter I've ever met." Yeah, but don't you think that's part of the? It is part of the not job. Self, for me, it's not. I don't like self-promotion. Yeah. I'd rather promote the people who work around me, the people mm-hmm. I work with, the people in the communities that are doing stuff. I don't need to be the center of attention all the time. And maybe that's my maybe that's my personality flaw that has put me in this situation. I, I am I am totally engaged because it physically and mentally bothers me the things that I see that I want to fix and that yeah. we have trouble fixing. And I and I gotta ask you this. I mean, doing you do you feel like the media has been the local media specifically has been fair to you? Because one of the things I've heard you say is that you get 
you know, more positive coverage from the New York Times, from yeah. the Wall Street Journal, even yeah. the Washington Post. You were on, you know, NPR. Yeah. Fa- fairly positive yeah. story. Do you feel like the, the local folks? Be- I don't think it's unfair to me. I think it's unfair to the city. I think I think you have to cover the news. But when you cover it in such a way that the first four stories of the evening are ma'am, chaos, bloodshed. I mean, it just seeps into people's brains and psyche. And they think that the whole city's like that. Which, to be fair, that's, other markets have that Correct. same coverage model. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not young. Yeah. But, but when you ask me if I think they're unfair to me, I don't think they're unfair to me. I think th- the way in which stories are covered these days are more... Look, when I was a kid, right? Uh, I'm 65. When I was in the 60s, uh, we had three stations. CBS, mm-hmm. ABC, and NBC. Mm-hmm. You got a half an hour of news at six o'clock from Walter Cronkite, and that was it. Now what we have is twenty-four-seven, multiple cable stations. There's, the content is they're, find, they're searching for content just to be relative, relevant, uh, and I think that that's changed the news and way the way it's reported. And and that's just the way it is. I mean, I, I'm I'm not uh, going to change it, and I'm not trying to change it. Yeah. And, and quick follow up there, because do you think that it's a fair perception? Because there were moments that people felt like you just didn't want to Maybe be there anymore. Maybe I was having a bad day. I mean, yeah. if I yeah. look back at 4th of July, two years, this is two years now. And so, I just want to give people the context. This yeah. is the quote in which you were having an exchange with a reporter mm-hmm. and you sort of implied that you'd be mm-hmm. looking forward in some ways to not being mayor anymore. Right. Go ahead. And, I, and if you look at the clip, I was kind of laughing at yeah. it. Like it wasn't like dead serious, mm-hmm. but I was angry. We had a beautiful day that day. The weather was perfect. We had beautiful concert, no problems on site, no arrest, no fights, no nothing. It was beautiful. The thing was just over, and we get the call. The two officers were shot at the steps of the art museum. Yeah. And we find out that it was some knucklehead with a gun who probably shouldn't have had one who fired into the air a mile or so away. That's frustrating and angry. And I was angry and frustrated, and that's when I said it. But, I mean, if that's, if that's the only thing that keeps reverberating after two years, then... No, I mean, the, were there other? I, I didn't mean that specific. No. I well, I guess I think it's the pairing of that yeah. with like, what you've uh, admitted about your own public demeanor, which is it's not rah-rah. And I know you're, I, I sympathize with not wanting to promote yourself. I, I, I struggle <laughs> with that, too, when I'm in this job, and I'm supposed to be doing that mm-hmm. more. But I think part of it is just that even if you don't like self-promotion and you mm-hmm. don't like being a cheerleader, that, that the constituents need that sometimes, mm-hmm. especially in the pandemic, especially you know, when the gun violence is raging, they just, even if there's nothing you can do legislatively, they just want to know that you're there with them. Yeah. Do you but think you could have done more there? Possibly, yeah. but I'm a human being. I mean, I have my own emotions and issues and, and it's hard. And I remember when I was a kid, my mother got called down to the, to the uh, school by the sister by one of, our, one of the nuns teaching me. I was in maybe like fourth grade, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And her, my, the report card was great. Uh, and no problem. So she said, well, is it discipline? Is it like, is he being fresh? Is he talking back? She said, no. He said, well, my mother said, what is it? He said, everything he thinks in his brain comes out on his face. Mm. And my mother was like, well, what would you like me to do about that? <laughs> I, mean, I can't exactly change that. And maybe, maybe I'm, the, maybe I'm uh, the result of my facial expression sometimes where I don't look happy because I may not be. Yeah, and, and I have that problem, yeah. unfortunately, to a very expressive face. But I want to read this email from John, which is a congratulations mm-hmm. to you. It says, congratulations to Mayor Kenny after a distinguished eight years with many ups and downs. But I feel that his finest moments were after the 2020 election when mm-hmm. he urged Donald Trump to put <laughs> on his big boy pants and admit 
that he had lost the election. And in some ways, I feel like there's like, because I covered, uh, you know, I was a reporter for mm-hmm. six years of your eight-year tenure. And I think there's almost like a tale of two Kennys in a way. Yeah. You had the the version of you that was, you know, I'm going to, I'm fighting Donald Trump. And then the version <laughs> of you that was, um, oh my God, this is pandemic. Yeah. Everything coming from you. And everything was coming for, from everybody. Do you feel that it was like the tale of two versions of you too? Like you're too... Um, I'm, I'm and, pretty, I'm pretty funny. Yeah, in different settings. I mean, I, I, I believe I mean, you. We've I seen the be, Twitter account. I've seen. Be, well, yes, that's, that, that, that won't happen again. That's never. I mean, and, and a fun, the strange part about the Twitter or whatever it's X now or whatever it's called is people urge you to engage yeah. and, be, and be and be transparent and speak your mind, and then you do it, and then you criticize. You get in trouble. Sure. Yeah, and I'm like, mm-hmm. what's the sense of doing it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you felt you can't win. Because you did sort of abandon your Twitter presence, your social media presence, uh-huh. which was very strong before you became mayor. Well, I got what happened was I was mayor for about six months, and I was still actively tweeting. I was engaging people, mm-hmm. like back and forth, which is not a good thing for the mayor to do. Um, and my entire communications office staff marched into my office and demanded that I stop doing it. Yeah. Because every time I did something, they get a call from a reporter asking sure. for comment. And they say, we can't get our work done because you keep on tweeting something about Chris oh, Christie or about- So it was, the, it was the pragmatic way that it sort of gummed up the machinery. Yeah, Lauren Hitt, who was the head of my communication yeah. staff, was like, you got to stop. Huh. You, you can't- And I remember when you used to read the, you did a video mean reading tweets? the mean tweets. <laughs> we might do that before I go, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you well, see, more. But what, what's happening was, it was like it's, two, the conte- but it's the context of the times. Yeah. I'm not going to do mean tweets in the middle of pandemic. Yeah. I'm not going to do mean tweets in the middle of social unrest after the murder of George Floyd. You know, I, I mean, and I felt like because of the gun violence we were struggling with, it wasn't funny being funny. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, look. So it was a tale. It was yeah. a two two versions <coughs> because of the times called for. I'm not, I'm not making excuses. You get, the, you get the hand that you're dealt with, and that's the hand we were dealt with. But I remember standing in an empty Valia Corps Center, looking at, looking at the basketball court with over 100 hospital beds, oxygen, electricity, prepared for hospitals to be overflowed. And, and I've never, I'm, I'm saying to myself, who would ever thought that this administration had to do this? Mm. We had to yeah. build a hospital in a basketball gym. I mean, that was something I was just n- knocked me off. I remember being in the emergency operations center during the civil unrest looking at six big screen TVs, all with cameras and neighborhoods, every one of them were on fire. Yeah. Every one of them were on fire. I was like, Lord, I mean, what? And then the pandemic part of it was hard because we didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. People were dying left and right. I mean, New York City had refrigerated tra- trailer trucks piled up with, with people's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't, we, we had to roll out the testing, we had to test, and we made sure that we tested in an ec- equitable way, because wealthy people can get what they need out of, out of the medical system. It's poor people that have trouble accessing. So we had to make mm-hmm. sure we were in fairly in every neighborhood's testing. Same thing with the, uh, with, the, with the vaccines. And that's why I always appreciate and love the Black Doctors Consortium. They were phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it's, they, it's were, just, they group, were just yeah. phenomenal, and they, and they helped us do a couple things. They helped us get to people, but they also, people trusted them. Because 
black people don't always, you know, medical history yeah, has not true. been terrific. So they don't, they didn't know whether it was. And I remember going up to, again, Leah Cor Center is like, like the epicenter of some of our North Philly stuff. And I remember seeing the place full with elderly people of color waiting for their vaccinations. Yeah, and that's where I got my vaccination. Mm -hmm. By the way, if you're just tuning in, we are speaking with Mayor Jim Kenney. This is his official <laughs> exit interview Studio here with WHY yeah. uh, on Studio 2. If you have a question, if you have a comment, you can email us, studio2 <coughs> at whyy.org, or you can call us at 888-477-9499. And we actually have a caller. Uh, Miguel has a question about Hispanic political and economic power in the city. Miguel, you are on Studio 2. What's your question or comment to Mayor Jim Kenney? Thank you very much. First of all, I just wanted to say thank you to Major Kenney. I think a lot of people is hearing, you know, the, 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 the sort of bad words that he said at one point. But I think we have to acknowledge from the point of view from the, the minority uh, uh, communities that I think he, his point of view views are right on. My question for him would be, what will be his suggestion for the next administration, considering that also city council is going to be having some changes? Mm -hmm. Him being a member uh, of can, uh, city council before, what will be the suggestion uh, in terms of empowering more the Hispanic community? Can you know, what can be done for that community? And I understand that, you know, the, uh, he supports the city, you know, being a, a, a hub for people coming in, to, uh, you know, yeah. as, as newcomers. Yeah. But what will be a specifically his suggestion for the next administration to do better in that yeah. term, to empower the Hispanic Th community? That's an interesting Thank you question. So much. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you, Miguel. Can, can, thanks, Miguel. Continuing to embrace immigration is extremely important. Mm -hmm. And it's not just it's not just Hispanic immigration, which is yeah. a large bulk of the people that have come to this country or continue to come to this country. And if you look, I grew up in South Philly. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up in South Philly, the stores were owned by mostly Jewish people mm -hmm. who yeah. had fled Europe uh, for the Holocaust. Um, and they were replaced by a different group of people when they moved on or, or passed on. In, in the Italian section of South Philly, it was all Italian-American merchants for the most part, and now you see more yeah. Latino and Hispanic merchants. I think, and I think that's the way of, that's the way this country has been built. Uh, you go out to South, you go out to Southwest Philly, the African community out there is mm -hmm. burgeoning. I mm -hmm. mean, it's, it's beautiful to watch mm -hmm. what's going on out there. You go up into the Northeast, and the Indi Asian Indian community is burgeoning. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it, this is a beautiful city, and we can't get to what, we can't get drugged down by the xenophobic and nasty stuff we're hearing coming out of mm -hmm. the GOP in Washington and the stuff coming out of Trump's mouth. Um, we're, we all have a right to be here. Uh, the one thing I wish the federal government would do or Congress would do, you don't have to award person a green card, you don't have to award a citizenship. Let them work. Yeah. You see those people that are stacked up in those hotels in New York? If you let them work, they would go to work. They'd make money, they'd get their own apartments, they'd buy their own houses. Like don't don't hand, don't handicap don't handicap them by telling them they can't go get a job. And then we have situations in in certain sec sectors of our economy like um, service industry and restaurants and hotels, they need people. Yeah, yeah. there's a labor shortage, yeah. yeah. That's an economic argument, but I always sense this was a moral argument for you as well. And oh, yeah. I actually want to play a clip mm -hmm. um, because you had a habit of, of going to an event, reading a speech, taking your glasses yeah. off, and then speaking from the heart. Right. And this is an instance of that. On the topic of immigration, this is around the time that Trump had just taken office right. and was doing various things to restrict immigration. Mm -hmm. This is a clip of you at an elementary school in South Philadelphia in 2017 speaking to a group of uh, children. Most of them immigrants or first-generation Americans. Let's roll that clip. You belong here. This is your country. 
because your parents chose this country and they chose to come here. So what you hear, I understand it's upsetting. And I understand it upsets your parents and upsets you. But we're not going to let that happen. So this is a sanctuary city. It will be a sanctuary city as long as I'm there. Because I'm not ever going to let anyone take advantage of you. I'm sorry. It's been a long week. It's very emotional. And I apologize. Still. Yeah, yeah, I still feel the emotion. And how do you get, I, how do you get that through though to people? I'm sure I'm guessing even people you might have grown up with, yeah. who see that same issue mm -hmm. and it makes them it gives them basically the opposite reaction right. of shut I've, it down. I've I've run into that issue, yeah, uh, especially as a native South Philadelphian. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I have a thing in my wallet that I keep, or it's on my phone. I keep it, and it's an it's a uh, advertisement from the Philadelphia Bulletin at the time, and it's from 1901. And it says that anyone, any company applying for um, a contract to repave Washington Avenue must, must promise not to hire Italian labor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I keep that because you got, you got to understand your history here too. The Irish, I mean, look at look, what we went through in the 1840s um, was terrible. What the Italians went through in the, in the 1900s, late 1800s, 1900s was terrible. Uh, what African Americans have been going through for 300 years is basically mm -hmm. as terrible as it gets. But you can't, you can't shut, you shouldn't shut the door once you got here. Yeah. I mean, and people have that attitude, like somehow, like I, I belong here. This is my country. Go back to where you came from. Well, you could go back too. The only people that can make that claim are indigenous, indigenous native North Americans. Um, everybody else came from somewhere else. And I have to say, you've been a big proponent of immigration, immigration policies, mm -hmm. the Unity Cup you yeah, set up to wonderful. bring immigrant yeah. communities together. And I want to talk about your DEI record a little bit mm -hmm. um, because uh, you had been criticized because your cabinet wasn't as diverse. Right. But at the same time, right. there were increases in the um, higher paying um, mm -hmm. jobs, non-exempt, I think it was exempt, exempt, yeah. exempt um, which is the, the, the jobs that pay above or right. average of $90,000 a year. Also, municipal employees saw a big increase in um, diversity. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I, I just want you to j address your DEI record you have here. To, you have to be intentional about it. And I'll give you a good example. My father was a firefighter and an Italian chief uh, for 20-some years. He came into the department in 1960. Mm -hmm. I believe in 1960 there was maybe one or two black chiefs. Yeah. I was at an event um, last year. It was a... Fourth of July event or something uh, with, and the fire department was there, and I was looking at the top four deputy commissioners in the department are all men of color. Mm -hmm. All the pe all of the people who are deputy commissioners in charge of medical services are either black women or, or women, uh, and to, and to take a department like that where at one point in our city's history they were segregated firehouses, where only blacks and whites couldn't couldn't mix in the firehouse, to have that kind of leadership team to me, and, and I was very proud of it. And it made me think of the, you know, what I saw in the 60s when I was born in 58, what I saw growing up in the 60s. Um, um, and, I, and the other thing on rebuild, over 60% of our contracts in rebuild are with mm -hmm. professionals either of color or women, uh, architects, engineers, uh, construction companies. Uh, so 60 plus 60 plus percent of that money uh, is going to DEI. Um, I, I mean, I, it, I, and I've always felt, and this is why it's something I am also proud of, We've had no labor strife with our mm -hmm. unions. And the reason, I, I, the reason that I don't think we have had is because one of my basic tenets is these people make the city work. 
I mean, could you imagine I, I, how hard it is to be a sanitation worker when you are out there six days a week but walking behind a, a, tra- a trash vehicle in the rain, in the snow, in the heat, during the pandemic, and to not be able to show them and police officers, firefighters, health department workers, teachers, the respect that they and their families deserve with a good, with a good salary and, and decent benefits. Uh, to me, I always felt past mayors felt like they had to take something away in order to look like they're being economically, uh, economically um, um, responsible. Mm. We, did, we, did, we, we negotiated. We got some concessions. I mean, think about this. When we came to office, the pension fund was funded at 40%, which is terrible levels. Mm-hmm. When we leave, it'll be close to 60. And it's also on track to be 80 by the year 2030, I believe, with no major economic meltdown in the country. I mean, that's intentional. And, one of the, and, and, while, and while we were doing that, we also reduced taxes on a regular basis. Now, Chamber of Commerce and others don't think it's fast enough, but this, we are doing it. It's about wage tax specifically yeah. there. And, yeah. we, and we froze it for two years because of the pandemic. We had no money. Yeah. Uh, we, we went for the highest fund in, 19, in 2020, January, when we get sworn in for a second term. We had the highest fund balance in the city's history. We were improving the pension, pension fund funding. We had a rainy day fund that was fully robust. Um, and then within, by the end of April, we were broke. We were laying people off uh, and we had no money. And then we built it back up again. So when we're leaving office now, and, and this is what something I intentionally wanted to leave Mayor Parker um, with a robust economy so she can continue to make progress. And I think, she, I know she will. Uh, but our bond rating went up from, from junk to 1A. Yeah, we, we reduced we reduced poverty by four mm-hmm. percent in a pandemic. I do. I do. Before we wrap up, though, we have just a few minutes left. I, I want to make sure we address the opioid epidemic. Yeah. Yes. You entered office uh, 907 overdose deaths mm-hmm. that year. 2022, 1,413. Why have we not been able to make progress? Fentanyl, xylazine. Um, I mean, the heroin's not even as much of an issue anymore. It's fentanyl and xylazine, and they're they're Mo- the most dangerous drugs on the planet. You pushed for uh, safe, safe injection mm-hmm. sites. Yes. Did not happen. Safe consumption Would that have sites. made a big difference? Safe it would have saved, well, New York has estimated it saved 900 lives in New York. Mm-hmm. I'll take 900 Philadelphians being saved. And the thing, that's, the thing that's counterintuitive to me is that people and some elected officials too who are against it. Uh, most elected officials are against it well, now. Yeah. yeah. But, but their complaints are we don't want our kids to see people injecting on the street. Okay. Well, they can get them indoors. Mm-hmm. We don't want to have to walk through needles in, in the sidewalk and in the curb. Well, then get them indoors. Get them indoors so they won't, if they overdose, we can save them. If they get access to enough health professionals and, psychi- and psychiatric, psychi- psychological people, maybe we get them in. Maybe we get them the one to, to, to get better and to, and to get, get the help they need. This concept that somehow we're going to sweep the street of human people and do what with them? There's, there's no place to put. There's not a lot of places to put them, and the advocates of the past have gone right to federal court and stopped anything mm-hmm. like that from happening. So you're kind of you want to follow the law. You want to do what's right and fair and safe for them, but you also have to follow the law when a federal judge tells you to do it. I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not Trump and his cronies. I mean, if a federal judge tells us we got to do something or can't do something, we're not going to do it. Um, but but and I've been to I've been to these sites in Toronto in Vancouver. Uh, and yeah, there's issues, but it's better than what's going on in the street now. Yeah. And we only have a couple minutes before 
the show is over for today, but I, I, I got to, you know, ask you as you w- walk out the door, what do you think you'll you'll miss the most? Pre-K. Mm. Whenever <clears throat> I have a bad week or a bad couple of days, I ask my staff to schedule a pre-K visit. Don't need the press. Decide when I go up, I want to sit. And there's little stools and look at them. They are pure. They are pure. Um, all they want to do is learn. All they want to do is be loved. And all they want is attention. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's this beautiful thing to see. And they don't, you know, I don't care what color the kid is or what neighborhood they're from. They don't see race. They come over. They hug you. They want to sit on your lap. Yeah. It, it just, it's, so in, it's so rewarding and so insp- inspirational to think that you have this kind of effect on a young life like this. Uh, and what you've done and the policies you've done will maybe make that child's life better in the future. Uh, as, as that's make, that what it makes me feel good. Real quickly, we have only 30 seconds. You were elected to city council age 32, yeah. 1991. Mm-hmm. What would you go back and tell that Jim Kenny now, knowing <laughs> what you know yeah. about politics? Well, I learned I learned at the feet, at the feet and sometimes at the fingers of <laughs> Gussie Clark and Marion Tasco. When I got in council in 1992, I had answered everything. I knew everything that had to be done, and I was going to do it. And as time went on, I learned I wasn't as smart as I thought I was, and they counseled <laughs> me and schooled me. Because Gussie used to say, I know what you wanted to say, but you didn't really say it the right way. So let me tell you how I think you should. And I listened. Yeah, There it is. Um, thank you so much, Mayor Jim Kenney, thank for uh, giving fun. us the time today in Studio 2. I look forward to seeing what you do next. Yeah. That is it. It won't, it won't be public life. It won't, <laughs> it won't be elected office. I think people need to go away sometimes. Just go Let away. me just say, uh, that's it for our show. We'll our producers, Studio two, Debbie though. Builder, Paige Murray-Besser, Andreas Copes, Charlie Kyer is our engineer. For more of our show, head on over to WHYY.org. I'm Cherry Gregg. I'm Avi Wolfman-Aaron. We will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>